Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences, and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz, and you are my People of the Book. And I think that lots of people are probably preparing for quite a hectic weekend. We've got a, um, no, not, not Platinum Jubilee. I don't expect you all to be preparing for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about Shavuot, cheesecake, blintzes. In my house, there's peppermint crisp pudding, very um, traditional in my home. But yeah, we've got a three-day marathon coming up. But right now... I am chatting to my guest. So, yes, my guest today is Angela Rothbart in Cape Town. Welcome to the show, Angela. Hi, Janice. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Such a pleasure to have you. And it's so nice to have local authors on the show who have, you know, written books. And Angela never expected to write a book. Angela... (laughs) We were chatting before and you told me that you've been a businesswoman all your life. You started working some 30 or 40 years ago because you actually wanted to buy your own car. And, um, you know, what followed was just a lifetime of, of business. Tell me a bit about that. Well, well, Janice, here I was, a 20-something young married woman with two babies and determined to buy my own motor car. So I got a little job selling factory goods, but not having a car, I had to sell them out of my baby's pram. So here I walked around the neighborhood with my pram, with all my stock in it, and fast forward so many years, I don't want to give my age away, but fast forward so many years, I had a huge business on my hands, very stressful and very big, until the day came that I decided it was enough and I was going to indulge myself in all my passions that I never had a chance to do, having been so occupied with my business all my life. And just when you were meant to be slowing down and when most people tend to be slowing down and when they say, well, I'm giving up work because the time has come for me to have a bit of rest and relaxation, you then decided to write a book. Well, to tell you the truth, I never decided to write it. It just happened in absolute serendipity is the only way I can describe it. However, what I want to tell you, Janice, is that since this book has been launched, I have been overwhelmed with support, encouragement, and love of the whole community. And when I sit quietly and think, what is this all about and why? It comes down to two things. First of all, the woman that inspired me is a remarkable woman, a Holocaust survivor, little known about her as opposed to many of the others. And she's still here with us, thank God. The other reason is that the author, who should be sitting in a rocking chair and knitting, is actually writing books. And I think that's what the fascination is to do. And of course, you are referring to yourself. But the book itself, which is called The Lightness of Air, which I just think is such a gorgeous title, and um, we're going to get to that and why it's called that. I mean, you have been overwhelmed. I mean, and and a lot of the the hype and a lot of the, the activity around the book has actually been in Cape Town. 
but we're, we're going to try and, and get more people in, in Joburg and around the country to know about the book, which is obviously why you are on the show. And we are going to be speaking in depth about the book. It's not actually, um, I mean, although people would think, I mean, you've said that, that you were inspired by a Holocaust survivor. And I mean, let's just, just say who it is. The Holocaust survivor is actually, um, it's, it's Henya Breyer, is that her name? Yes. I'm just to look. Henya yes. Breyer. Yes. yes. And I mean, she's, she is an incredible lady. And we are going to be speaking about the book the book in depth but um first we're going to have a short break and then yes we're going to be speaking about angela's book the lightness of air i love it when you read to me this is people of the book with janice Liebowitz. this is people of the book and I'm chatting today to Angela Rothbart about her book, The Lightness of Air. Angela, you've actually written the book under your name, Angela Miller Rothbart, just in case anyone is wondering. Yes. And as I said, it, it's not a Holocaust book in itself. You've used the Holocaust peripherally as a backdrop for the book. It's not actually about the Holocaust. There isn't a lot of in-depth information about the Holocaust, but it is a peripheral character in the book. Let's call it a character. Um, this is very much a character-driven book. It's about the people and their story. Tell us though, tell me how you landed up writing this book you say it just happened and they say that everyone has a has a book in them and everyone has a story to tell so so tell me how how the book actually came about well well when I decided to retire and it, I had all this time on my hands which was very daunting and not what I expected it to be so I decided I would use my time usefully so I joined a writing group to indulge my passion for poetry, reading, theatre, etc. And simultaneously, I joined the Jewish Seniors Association in Seapoint with a view to meeting interesting people. And then came the call from um, Diana. Angela, she said, there's somebody I think you would very much like to meet. And cut a long story short, off I went to meet Emilia Breyer. Well, the minute I met her, I just knew that she was somebody very, very special. And then as our friendship grew and is still growing to this day, she started telling me the stories of her life, not just the Holocaust. In fact, I just want to mention something there. I specifically skipped out the Holocaust in right, my book. Right. Because, because Henia has told me that no matter how many stories you read, no matter how many movies you see, unless you were there, you cannot possibly know. Absolutely. So I'm not qualified to write about it, and intentionally I left it out. But Henry was opened up and started telling me these wonderful stories about her life in Poland as a child. You know, I, I, they were so evocative. I could smell the food in her beautiful home. I, I could feel the clothes that her mother brought from Vienna, all the luxuries that, that she was privileged to have. And then when the Nazis, when she told me how the Nazis came, looted their home, picked up her precious piano, carried it away, 
I cried with her. And then as we moved on to her life in Paris and after that, she told me how she packed the exodus before she went to Palestine and how she got there. Well, these stories, I wasn't just listening to them. I was actually living history with her. And so what happened now, to go back to my, uh, my writing group, in my writing group, I joined them. Actually, I wanted to learn how to blog. But the facilitator said, no, you have to write. So what was I going to write? It just, I had wanted to document these stories just for my own self. So I started writing them down. And then I thought, wait a minute, she's never asked me to write them. And I don't want to invade her privacy because she's a very private person. So I thought, let me read to her what I have written so that she knows that I'm writing down her stories. So the first time, now she has macular degeneration. So while I was reading, she just stared straight ahead. And when I finished reading, the heart stopping moment, she was very quiet. And then she turned to me and said, publish that and dedicate it to me. Oh, wow. And in that moment, my life changed. Because I knew that as I would do whatever it took and to the best of my ability to do that. And then, of course, my writing group were very instrumental in all this because they kept pushing me, you know, believe in yourself. I, I, don't, I don't know if you identify with, but self-doubt, you know. Oh, yes. I, I had to overcome that with the help of my writing group. And, well, here we are today and we have a book. And if I had ever known that the day I picked up my pen to write, and I wrote everything in longhand, by the way. If oh, known, my goodness. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I like to, you know, I like to see what I'm writing and I like to, to change it. So everything I wrote in, in longhand. And I could not, not have imagined the day that I picked up my pen that this was ever going to be a book. But as I say, here we are. So it's, it's been the most incredible journey. Yes, that it has. It's been an incredible journey. And it's ongoing because, as I say, the reaction from people and, and just the general support of the entire community has just been wonderful. It really has. It's been so important to me. It, it never was the, the how many books were sold or how it was going to do. It was so important to me, the feedback, and that that whoever read it would enjoy it to the extent that I had enjoyed writing. I'm actually quite speechless at I just at Henya's reaction and the way you've taken the stories that she told you and woven it into, I mean, you know, novels of, of that era are never purely fictional. They are also fact-based. They've all got their, their roots in, in fact and about what happened during that time. So, like I said, this is very much a character-driven story and it's, it uses the war and, and the Holocaust as a backdrop. But you do take certain events and certain... They are standout events. Did you decide which events you wanted to focus on? Did you decide or, or was it Henya who directed you? Did she, did she ever say to you, mention this specifically or mention that? No, 
No, she didn't. She didn't. I think it just all came together as I was writing. But uh, as you know, of course, you've read the book. It does go to the winelands of Paul, which yes. is my home. And um, so, you know, it was really, uh, I was writing about something I knew so well and the people that I could identify with. These characters were real to me. Actually, what happened, Janice, was while I was writing, you say it's character-driven. These characters came alive. They moved into my flat. They haunted me. They lived with me. And, it, you know, they're so real to me. Even now, they are real. I, uh, I'm almost hanging on to them, you know. I'm almost not wanting them to go. I'm not ready to let go yet because I got so involved with each of one of them, you know, that they became so real to me. You know, the mother-in-law, you know, she was with her with her Russian accent and with a Brooklyn accent, yeah. you know. She was so like so many people I have known and I could identify with, with aunts. And she was such a loving character that I wanted to hold her, you know, and to yeah. know her a bit longer. It's strange because I hear so many authors say that the characters come to life and they land up having minds of their own. And yes. doing, you know, that the, yes. the writer themselves, they lose control and the character takes over. And yeah, you uh, become a channel. You've yes, just become a channel. Absolutely. Yeah. Many authors do say that. You are listening to People of the Book. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. This is People of the Book, and today I'm talking to Angela Rothbart about her beautiful book, The Lightness of Air. And as Angela was saying earlier, the reaction to the book and the feedback she's received have all been absolutely amazing. It is a fabulous book. And Angela, I was asking you earlier about um, the, the specific events that you've you've chosen to focus on and the, the narrative that you followed in this book. And I mean, obviously, we don't want to give spoilers. I don't want to give too much away. But um, I am going to mention just, just a couple of things. Uh, one of them is the Garden of the Righteous in Yad Vashem. Yes. And you yes. did specifically mention um, the priests and the nuns who protected yes. Jewish children in France, specifically yes. during the war. And I was interested to know, because I looked this up, <laughs> I was interested to know if you specifically use the name of a priest and a nun who are not actually named in the Garden of the Righteous. Did you know well, that? Yes. No, I, I knew that because it wasn't my place to mention anybody's name. Yeah. You know, I have to be very careful about yes. what I was saying. So, And it is a novel, which I have said right in the beginning. So, and in fact, it wasn't only the nun and, and the monk, it was also, and the doctor, I should say, it was also the German who protected the Jewish woman by hiding her away during yes. the war. And so he also, uh, in, in my novel, I said, would also have been mentioned in, in the Garden of the Righteous because, you know, that is what happened. That is what happened to people who, non-Jewish people who did protect Jews. And there, there are, I'm sure there are so many other cases that we'll never know about yes. Of, yes. of people who, who did yes. amazing, incredible things to possibly not save lives, but who were 
who who were, I mean, they, you, you mentioned a case of, of, a, of a Nazi soldier who locks a Jew in a room to give them a meal. Yes. In a that concentration is camp. That yeah. is true. That is one of the yeah. stories that Henia told. That's amazing. That, that is, yes, that was absolutely true. Uh, there were a lot of miracles that she survived, that helped her survive. Incredible stories. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, Janice, do you mm. remember having read about the little boy that was found wandering in yes. Auschwitz? Now, now, that was based not on Henry's story, but another Holocaust survivor I had known who was in the camp as a young child. And her, her parents had protected Jewish people and they were all discovered and they were all disappeared and killed except her and this little boy. And the story of changing his jacket is a true story. Oh, wow. That happened. Yes. And I knew that, I knew that because this woman had told it to me. But the sad thing about her was she became very ill. And when I got hold of the Jewish Board of Deputies to please come and hear the story, we were all ready to go that afternoon when her husband phoned and said, don't come, she's too ill, and she passed away. Oh, what so a pity. Be, what a pity. But I tried to document it, and it was almost cathartic and or therapeutic for me to, to write that, you know, even though I use poetic justice. Yes. That that was all based on truth. About the, the jacket being swapped with yes. a with a yes. gypsy child, yeah. Yes. And saved that little boy who today is a grown up man. Wow. An elderly man. Yeah. Incredible. You mentioned um earlier the story of, of preparing about Henio who remembers preparing the the ship, the Exodus, the SS Exodus. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure if many people are familiar with the that that was a doomed voyage. I mean, that was yes. that was really it was what happened to. I mean, it was the biggest. Actually, I had the the largest number of of people on it that was bound for Palestine at the time, and they were turned away. They were actually the um, British soldiers. British boats were sent out to stop them from entering um, Israeli waters. Well, it wasn't Israel at the time, but they first tried to stop them from docking in, in the port of Haifa. And um, when they did eventually get to Haifa, they were not allowed to enter into Palestine, which is where they were heading. They were all illegal. They didn't have papers. I mean, they'd come from, they, they were survivors. And they were all turned away. They were sent back to France initially. Yes. They were sent back. And then there was a whole issue about where they were going to send them because they wanted to send them back to Germany. And uh, then there was a whole brouhaha, or whatever you want to call it, because they actually initially had thought they were going to house them in what had previously been concentration camps, but realized that they would have the weight of the world come down on them if they were going to do that. The bottom line is these people never actually reached Palestine. That was just a doomed voyage. But what you you mentioned in the book was that, that I don't know how you, I, I pronounced her name as Helena. I don't know what your intention is with the pronunciation yeah. of her name. But um, they were lucky enough to be legal. They had 
papers, however they had gotten yeah. these papers. Yeah. The, they had visas, papers, whatever, yeah. and they managed to reach the promised land. Yeah. And, I mean, you speak about um, kibbutz life, you know, that, that we all know that's how our state was founded and that's how our nation was founded. But, you know, we can't forget that there were so many that had such hope to reach Israel and never did because of a British mandate at the time. And so shortly after that, that doomed Exodus voyage, the British withdrew. And it was quite soon after that. Along with, with all of that, you mentioned other issues that are so prevalent in the aftermath of war. And one of them was survivor's guilt. And after everything that, and I'm going to mention specifically Helena because she is your your predominantly main character in the book. After everything she goes through, I found it interesting that she feels that guilt so specifically after hearing of the death of her friend Sophia, when the rabbi at prayers wishes her long life. You know, I've got it open in front of me this time. I could read the page. Yes, yes. Why don't you read that for me? Okay. At the conclusion of the prayers, the rabbi stood before Elena and held his hands above her head as he blessed her for a long and good life. Elena lifted her tear-stained face to meet his gaze. A tear-stained face to meet his gaze. Rabbi, she said, her voice heavy with grief, you have blessed me for a long life, but how will I bear my loss? And why have I survived when Sophia and so many others have not? Hearing the heartbreak in her voice, the rabbi closed his eyes contemplatively for a few minutes. Then he spoke slowly, his speech tilted with a heavy Yiddish accent. Helena, You were destined to survive, to be the messenger for the future generations so that the depravity perpetrated on an innocent people may never happen again and that there should be tolerance of all religions. It was not your choice to make as to who would survive and who would not. You have shown such courage. Go to Palestine, fulfill your dream and nurture forever the memory of Sophia and your loved ones, but never lose faith in the good of humanity and never forget that hate is destructive and that love is the most powerful force of all. That is one of the most powerful pages in the book, actually. And it, it it really speaks to what you survive for and the purpose for which you are living. You are put here to achieve something and there is a reason for your survival and there's a reason you have a purpose and you have something to impart to others. Yes, I'm so rewarded that you picked up on that because that was so meaningful to me as I was writing it. Absolutely, and it comes across. And that carries through to another huge message that comes Later on, toward more further towards the end of the book, when Helena is actually offered the opportunity to yes. have her tattooed number removed 
A doctor asks if she wants to have her number removed from her arm and he offers her that opportunity. And she emphatically says no. And I think that is a Dr. Edith Egger, who was also offered the chance to have her number removed. And she says no. Yes. Because they, they said, you know, and, and in the book, Helena says, you know, in, in years to come, people are going to come along and say that the Holocaust never happened. And I am here and I will be able to say that it did because I and survived is, and I was there. And that is true. That is a true story. Well, well, it's not true that she did it when the children were born. That's, you know, poetic. Um, yes, my, absolutely, my yes. But it is true that she refused to have it to remove. Yes. And for that reason, that, that people will come and say yes. it never happened. And these survivors are here to say it did. I was there. And they have the proof. They are the living proof. Yeah, and they have to carry the burden of proof. Yes. And unfortunately, we are losing those survivors at a very rapid rate. They are dying out. Our job to ensure that we continue their legacy. And that is what you have done with this book. There is just still so much more to talk about. There is one specific person that is mentioned in this book that I have a lot to say about. And who is that? Gertrude Stein. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. So Gertrude Stein is, yeah. I mean, she's always been a controversial character. She yeah. is, she, you know, she remains controversial to mm. this day. And Gertrude Stein and her partner, Alice Toklas, were, they were, they, they lived out there the war years in the French countryside. Yeah. But it is said that they were protected. I mean, Gertrude Stein, obviously, she was Jewish. Yeah. And um, it is said that they were protected during the war yes. by German sympathizers and collaborators, specifically Bernard, I th I'm not sure how you pronounce his sur surname, it's Bernard Fay. I'm not sure if that's the correct pronunciation. Oh. But, but he, yes, Bernard Fay and Philip Bertin. Bertin. Well, yes, but it was more specifically um, Fay himself because he was an official in the Vichy government. Hmm. He was an official of, of Pertain's in the Vichy government. And she had a long-standing friendship with him, actually, um, long before he became a fascist. He was hmm. actually um, a gay, Harvard-educated oh. historian who came from a Catholic royalist background. So <laughs> that really is interesting. Yeah, he was um he was actually his family was highly respected. He was an academic, he was an author, huh. but um she came under fire because you know, as a Jew being protected by by these yes. German sympathizers and collaborators, and even her art collection, which was left behind mm -hmm. in her gorgeous mm -hmm. Paris apartment, even that wasn't touched. That was also saved. Because she, of her relationship. Yes, because of that relationship. Mm. And, you know, she never actually, in all her, her writing, her wartime writing and all her correspondence, she never actually mentions his assistance in any mm. of that. He doesn't mm. get a mention. When she, yeah. during his trial, he was put on trial after the war. <sighs> and... She wrote a letter of support that was lukewarm at best. Yeah. Oh, oh. But she does mention his patriotism and she acknowledges that he helped to protect her art collection. That was yes. 
the most that she granted him. Important, important to yeah. him. Yeah. Yes. yes. More than that, she didn't give him. Yeah. Well, that was good. She didn't mention yeah. his protection of her mm-hmm. or, or of Alice or anything like that. There was no mention of how they were safe in the countryside and thanks to him or anything yeah, like he, that. So he wasn't rewarded. She didn't reward him. No, she didn't. He didn't get her thanks. Her her art collection got his thanks, but nothing like that. But there is actually a huge debate. A lot of French Jews were actually protected by their non-Jewish neighbours who were not necessarily Vichy sympathisers and during the war, and they were helped during those those years. Like in Nice, like in Nice, when they were also... In in Nice, a lot of the non-Jews protected and helped them survive while they were working in the underground. Yes, a lot, a lot. And it was a very, it was, there was a complex network and and I think that there's hopefully still a lot of that will come to light because I don't think Mm -hmm. we know a lot about that. Um, we and I, th- I think there's still areas in, in Europe where we don't hear a lot about what went on in the war. We don't hear a lot about who was protected and, and who was given assistance. And going back to what we, we spoke about in the beginning, about the Garden of the Righteous, I think yeah. there are still a lot of um, people who have not received credit for things that they did to protect and to to save lives. There must be the a war. lot. Yes. Okay. We, we're learning about them now, like the kinder transport and yes. the man, were they only coming to life sort of in the last few years? Yes. As people are rushing to tell those stories, as I say, as survivors are dying off and people from that time are dying off, people are rushing to tell those stories. So hopefully we will learn more. You are listening to People of the Book, and today I'm talking to Angela Rothbart. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I'm chatting today to Angela Rothbart about her gorgeous book, The Lightness mm-hmm. of Air. Angela, does Henya still have more stories to tell? Oh, yes. And many times I think I, st- I stopped writing too soon. You know, right until the day before I said to the publisher, because the publisher was getting angry with me because I kept adding and adding, <laughs> right until the day before Henya I were out having tea together and she was and she told me about her the story about her feet, how she was embarrassed that her feet were so big, so her father made the size two sizes smaller because he had the shoe factory. And um, all the time I speak to her, there are stories and things that she tells me. And yes, yes, they are, Janice. So there could be another book here. As I said to you earlier, this is a composite of so much. It's it's a story of one woman and really her journey. And it's such a beautiful journey. I mean, with all her struggles and the difficulty that she endures and the challenges and everything that she has to overcome. It's a composite of so much in her life and you've managed to embrace it all, weave it all together. It's a it's a tapestry of a life. Yeah. That's what you've managed to, to accomplish with this book. You know, Janice, when I eventually realized I was writing a book, it came from a very deep place inside of me. And I learned so much about Henia and about myself. I learned about the resilience of the human spirit. And I learned also that 
you know, although life isn't always fair, there always seem to be compensations. There's always something to balance the scale. No matter how much you've lost, there are always gains. And me, I suppose I'm just a kind of half full kind of girl. But that is what the philosophy that I have picked up in talking to him here. It's just amazing. And I, I cannot imagine how she must feel about this book. She must be so proud. Well, yes, yes, she is. She is, you know, and that, of course, is very rewarding. Yes, I, you know, she's come with me to the seniors when we've had uh, launches there that have been so successful. In fact, the first one was booked out, so we had to make a second one, <laughs> and that's been booked out. And, um, you know, she, she, she really does enjoy it. And people are loving to meet her. And is there any chance of coming to Joburg for a book launch? Well, I would definitely, I could never bring Henny in. You know, she's too proud. Right, yeah, but, I know. But, but I, I, at, a, at a heartbeat, I would be on a plane. Because I just feel that the story, while she is still here with us, needs to be told, needs to get out there. I want people to know about her, even though the book is not about her. As somebody at one of the launches, a lady came up to me and she said something that touched me deeply. She said, even though the story is not Henia's story, she said, what you've done, Angela, you've shone a light on her and you've given her a voice. And if that's what I've achieved, then I've achieved everything that I set out to do. Absolutely. And I think you've done it in such a beautiful fashion and such a beautiful style. Like I say, it's a, really a, a tapestry of a life that you've managed to, to weave together in such a beautiful way. So tell me, where is your book available? Um, in all the bookstores, I think they're going in this week, actually. So it's in all the bookstores. It's on Amazon. It's on Take A Lot as well. Okay, so really no excuse not to get the book because and, it is available it, in most places. Yes, it's also in the Gitlin Library, and I'm not sure what the library is in Johannesburg, but, I mean, I would gladly get some copies there as well. Okay, great. And um, when you say it's available on Amazon, is that the actual book or is there an e-version, an electronic version e available? The e-version, the Kindle, and the actual book. Okay, brilliant. Available. So and really, on, and on take a lot. Okay, brilliant. So really no excuses. Angela's book is written under the name Angela Miller-Rothbart, so don't be confused. It is the right Angela Rothbart. And the name of the book is The Lightness of Air. It really is, I really highly recommend it. It's a beautiful story. As I say, the characters will stay with you. They, are, they will endear themselves to you. And it's really a journey. It's a journey from Europe to America, to Israel, to France, France, Israel, Cape Town, Paul. It's it really, it, it encompasses everywhere, every place, every emotion. And I highly recommend it. Angela, it has been such a pleasure chatting to you today. Thank you so much for your time. I've loved every Thank second. You, <laughs> Thank you. And I look forward to chatting to you again. I hope this is not the last uh, time. No, for your next book. I look forward to it. Well, I hope we'll speak before then. I hope so. 
And to you listening, I wish you, as always, a Shabbat Shalom, but I wish you a Chag Shavuot Samach. Enjoy your cheesecake, blintzes, whatever it is that you're enjoying. I hope that you spend your Yom Tov doing whatever it is that you enjoy doing, um, reading, of course, but Shavuot is about learning. So I hope that you learn whatever it is that you believe will enlighten you and educate you in whatever area you believe you need to be educated in and any area that you would enjoy expanding your knowledge and expanding your mind in. I wish you a beautiful week. Look after yourselves, take care of yourself, take care of each other and read a book.